following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw or our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Okay, let me set the scene for this. So we are going to dive back into our series in the book of Genesis. And last year we did a series for around three months. We called it Origins. We looked at Genesis 1 to 3, so just the first three chapters of the Bible. And the early stories of God creating the heavens and the earth, uh, creating humanity, and then the entrance of sin into the world. And so I thought what we would do, and what I'm going to try and do between now and when, when I leave for sabbatical, is work through the next chunk of the book of Genesis. Uh, and I can't call it Origins anymore, so I'll call it The Story Continues. And this next passage or section in the book of Genesis, which goes from about chapter 4 through to chapter 11, is really the story of the ripple effects of that first sin of humanity as it spreads out and out and out to affect more and more and do more and more damage. And you might remember last year I used the analogy of a pebble thrown in a lake. You, you throw a pebble into a lake and there's the initial splash and then there's the ripple effects of that splash. And you can think of that initial splash like the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden. But then immediately uh, that splash sends ripples out. And that's the next, the next section of Genesis. The next several chapters is the story of those ripple effects as you see human sin affecting relationships, affecting marriages, affecting families and communities and generations and leaders and eventually the whole earth. That's how you get to the story of Noah and it's, it's wickedness and corruption across the whole earth. So that's the story. But at the same time, there's huge hope. There's always tremendous hope. And every time there's sin and judgment and bad news, there's also good news and there's, there's hope and there's, there's a future and God is always working to restore and to renew and to redeem. So there'll be lots of good news in the series as we go along as well. So this morning, we will be in Genesis 4. And we'll pick up the action there. What I want to do, though, in Genesis 4 is we're not going to... The, the chapter starts with the story of Cain and Abel. And I'm not going to look at that story this morning. A couple of years ago, you might remember we did that series on the seven deadly sins. And we looked at that story in that, in that series when we got to the sin of envy. And we talked about Cain as an example of envy towards his brother. So because we dealt with that there, I'm not going to deal with it again this morning. If you want to go back, that message is online and you can look at that, listen to that. And you slot that into this part of the series if you want to. But I want to press on in this chapter and look at the next part of the story, which is a little bit lesser known, but just as important. And so we'll pick up the text in verse 17 of chapter 4. Cain made love to his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city, and he named it after his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Erad, and Arad was the father of Mahujael, and Mahujael was the father of Mahushael, and Mahushael was the father of Lamech. I decided to read the passage myself this morning. I hope you appreciate that. At least tricky names. Lamech married two women, one named Ada and the other Zillah. Ada gave birth to Jabal, and he was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who play stringed instruments and pipes. Zalah also had a son, Tubal-Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubal-Cain's sister was Neymar. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, 
a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. Adam made love to his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel, since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. It seems to be that in most families, you have someone who's interested in the family tree. You have someone in your family like that. I've got a cousin who's, who's interested in kind of mapping out the family tree. Most extended families have somebody who's kind of into that. They want to go through the generations. They want to piece it together. They want to figure out who goes with who and what kids they had and where they came from and, and when they immigrated over. And they love the research. They love digging back into all of that stuff. And, of course, when you go back uh, far enough, you can find some interesting things. And you can, you can find that you may be related to some notable people. Maybe related to some significant people. I heard a guy um, this past week uh, talking or writing about how he was uh, related to someone who signed the Treaty of Waitangi. And he still has the same surname as his ancestor. And that's quite a significant thing for him. And he's now ministering among Maori, empowering Maori communities. And he sees that really as carrying on the lineage of his ancestor who signed the treaty. Uh, but of course, you can also find the opposite. And you can find that you may be related to someone who's a bit unsavory and who's a bit of a dodgy character, and who's more sort of infamous than famous. That happens too, doesn't it, sometimes? A bit of an embarrassment in the family tree. And I think that's what we're dealing with here, with Lamech, this guy Lamech. What you've got in Genesis 4 is a family tree. It's a, it's a one line of the family tree. It just goes down through Cain and his descendants. So just one of Adam and Eve's kids follows his line. Uh, it goes down about five generations, and then it stops with this guy Lamech. And the author spends a bit of time seems to take a bit of pleasure in just telling us what a dodgy kind of character Lamech was, much to the embarrassment of everybody that was probably related to him. He's the guy you don't want in your family tree. This is the guy you do not want to be related to. He is a quite an unsavory character, Lamech. But because he's kind of the highlight of this part of the chapter, uh, he's the guy that we're going to look at a little bit today and see what he has to teach us. So Lamech, the first thing we know about Lamech in verse 19, Lamech married two women. That's a bad start. That's never... If you hear of someone that's done that, that's not a good start. That, that never seems to go well. Uh, and this is the first time really in the Bible that, that the marriage covenant between one man and one woman breaks down. Now, rather than one man and one woman, it's one man, two women. And even though there's nothing in this text that, that directly condemns Lamech for that, it's pretty clear this is not a good idea. It's never a good idea in Scripture uh, or ever since. And you often find that when, this hap when polygamy happens, um, bad things follow. So this is Lamech. He takes two wives. And then he, he writes this song. In verse 23, it seems to be some kind of song or maybe a poem that he writes to his wives. And he calls them to himself and says, hey, wives, come and listen to this song. Um, it's not a good song. It's, it's a pretty disturbing song. Actually, it's probably not going to become one of the top 10 worship songs at Shaw. Uh, but he's basically boasting in his exploits. And he says, Adar and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. And he, he may well here be talking about more than one person, uh, this killing spree that he's been on, because he mentions here two different types of people. He talks about a man, I've killed a man. Uh, that's the standard word for an adult male. But then he says, a young man for injuring me. Now that word, 
in Hebrew could refer to a, a, a male of a range of ages, right from a young adult right down to a young boy. He could be talking about a young boy. He could be saying, the young boy came along and injured me, wounded me, maybe accidentally, maybe on purpose, we don't know, and so I killed him. A man did injury to me, and so I killed him. And he's kind of boasting about this, like he is a vengeful person. And people have wronged him, and people have injured him, and, and so he's just lashed out, and he's taken vengeance way beyond the actual crime that was committed, way beyond what was actually done to him. So this is a long way past the uh, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth kind of law, and you find that in the Old Testament. Uh, but this, Lamech is basically saying, you take my eye, I'll kill you. You take my tooth, I'll kill you. Whatever you do, doesn't matter how small it is. He is a man of indiscriminate violence. It doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter how small the offense is. He's saying, I'm going to take your life. Lamech is living by this principle of vengeance. This principle that says, you hurt me, you're going to pay. And you're going to pay dearly. You're going to pay with your life, no matter what you've done. And not only does he act like this, but he seems to take some kind of perverse pride in it. He's boasting about it. He says, if Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech, 77 times. Now, that's a reference, the bit about Cain, that's a reference back earlier in the chapter when God says to Cain, if anyone takes your life, I will avenge them. I will avenge you seven times. Now, that's, that's God's prerogative to do that, to take that vengeance. That's justice in the hands of God. But you see what Cain's doing. He's saying, I'm not going to leave justice with God. I'm not going to trust God to avenge me. I'm taking it into my hands. I'm, I'm ripping justice out of the hands of God, and I'm going to take it into my own hands. I'm going to dish out my own version of vigilante justice. I'm going to deal with people as I see fit, and I'm taking it to a far greater extreme than God. I'm taking it to 77 times, not just seven times. So this is a, an extreme form of vengeance. Cain's saying, I'm, I'm taking vengeance into my hands, and I'm going to take it to its most extreme form. He's a nasty piece of work. And I think what Lamech shows us is that in the space of five generations, humanity has fallen massively far. I mean, it seemed like the Cain and Abel story was bad enough, with Cain taking the life of his brother. But at least it was only one person. And at least he didn't boast about it afterwards. But now you get one of Cain's descendants, Lamech. He's on a killing spree. He doesn't care. It's indiscriminate. And he makes it a badge of honor. He makes it a point of pride to be this kind of vengeful, spiteful person. He's a man of violence. He's a man of retribution. He's a man of vengeance. And his principle is, you hurt me and you'll pay. Now, I think what Lamech's story shows us is the way in which this principle of vengeance gets lodged in the human heart. I know he's an extreme example, and we're not all going to go out and do what Lamech did, but I think there's something about the spirit of vengeance that gets passed on and on and on down through the generations. And Lamech's an extreme form of it. We've, we've all got a little bit of Lamech in us, I think. We've all got a little bit of the spirit of vengeance in us. So that when something's done to us, right? when someone hurts you in some way, someone crosses you in some way, someone mistreats you, or maybe worse, someone mistreats a member of your family, you experience that, and that, that's sometimes a, a worse feeling because you feel helpless. Uh, when, when people do that 
to us. What we instinctively want is vengeance. What we instinctively have a desire for is to lash out and to get some form of payback, right? We want that person to pay. We want to see justice done. We want them to hurt. We want them to suffer. We want, to see, we want them to see the consequences of their actions in some way. We want to take something from them, or we want judgment, or we want justice. We want retribution, retaliation, whatever it is. We want that for that person somehow, and we try to get it however we can. I came across a great little funny example of this um, this last week. I think we've got a screenshot of it, uh, Murray. This, this brother here whose sister had stolen $20 from him. So he went into her computer and found her chemistry assignment, and he hid it. He created all these subfolders in the computer and then hid her assignment in one of those folders for her to try and find. And he conveniently named the folders to create this lovely message, Dear Sister, as revenge for stealing my $20, I've hidden your project in one of these folders. And guess what? All of these folders have three subfolders. This should teach you not to steal from me, so have fun trying to find your project. If there's a lesson to be learned here, it's don't steal from your big brother. With warm, with warm regards and hateful loathing and vengeance, your loving brother. <laughs> so you might want to try that on your siblings. No, I'm not encouraging that. Now, that, that, those kind of examples are kind of funny, kind of humorous, but obviously vengeance takes a lot of different forms. Sometimes it's really ugly. Sometimes it's nasty. Sometimes it is violent. Sometimes it does lead to death. There's all kinds of examples of revenge being taken, vengeance being taken in our world. And you think at a personal level, that just the, the small ways in which we try to get back at people that hurt us in some way. It might, it might be by trying to take something from them or trying to remove some opportunity from them in some way, trying to make them feel the consequences of their actions in some way. Often we resort to a kind of passive-aggressive form of vengeance, I think, where we don't necessarily want the confrontation directly, so we kind of go through the back channels and uh, we just figure out a way. Maybe we poison other people against them. We talk to a whole lot of people and we get other people offside so that they lose uh, good repute in the sight of other people. And that's kind of our means of, of getting vengeance. But some way or another, we want the person to pay, we want the person to feel some heat. And if we can't do any of those things, what we tend to do is take vengeance in our mind. If there's no options available to you on the table, you can at least take vengeance in your head, right? And we justify this because, well, it's only in my mind. It's, I'm not actually doing anything, I'm just, I'm just thinking. But man, that's some, sometimes that's the most evil form of vengeance. The scenarios that we can come up with uh, the thoughts that we can have about other human beings, you know, we'd be ashamed if other people found out about them, wouldn't we? The, the things that we would like to say to that person, the things that we wish that we could do to that person, the ways in which we would like to see them suffer, we can be incredibly creative with these various scenarios. And we kind of think it's okay because that's just going on in my head. But in fact, what happens is the more that you harbor that, the more that you let yourself feed on that vengeful spirit, what happens? you become a vengeful person, right? So the more that you harbor resentment, the more you're going to become a resentful person. The more that you let yourself harbor bitterness towards someone else, whether it's a friend, a coworker, your parents, whoever it is, the more you will just become a bitter person. You harbor anger in your heart, you will become an angry person. You, you harbor hatred in your heart, you will become a hateful person. It will define you. It will become your identity, and it's going to do far more damage to you than it is to them. That's the sad thing. But we can be people of vengeance, and we have that innate desire to get even, to retaliate and lash out in some way. We've all got a little bit of Lamech in us, I think. So on its own, this is a pretty sad story, and we don't know how Lamech's life worked out. We don't know how God dealt with him, when and where justice ever got done for Lamech. 
his story just kind of ends and biblical story flows on from there. But this is where it's so important, and we try and do this all the time at Short, is to take these parts of Scripture, these stories, and place them in the context of the whole biblical narrative, to place them in the flow of the whole biblical story and see how these themes unfold through the Bible. Because, in fact, this little story about Lamech actually becomes quite significant for the way in which this principle of vengeance and its opposite play out in the Bible. So keep your finger in Genesis 4 for a moment and turn all the way over to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 18. Now, this is a totally different part of Scripture, totally different uh, context. This is Jesus. This is the life of Jesus. This is the gospel. Jesus' disciples come to him one day. Peter comes to Jesus one day. And in verse 21 of Matthew 18, Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, can you hear the connection? See, if you just read that on your own, and many of you have read that passage in in Matthew, but you read that on your own, you think, oh, Jesus is just throwing out a big number. He's just kind of making a point. But Jesus wants you to connect this back to the story of Lamech. And for his disciples, good Jewish men who knew their Old Testament, they, they immediately would. And they would be thinking, hang on. 77 times, or some of your translations say 70 times 7. That that sounds familiar. I've heard that before. That sounds like the story of Lamech. Because Lamech said, if anyone hurts me, I will avenge them 77 times. And now Jesus is saying, I want you to forgive anyone who sins against you 77 times. Do you see what Jesus is saying? He's reversing the law of Lamech. He's reversing the principle of vengeance. And he is saying, no longer are you to walk in that road of vengeance, retribution, and retaliation. Now I'm giving you a new path, and it is the path of forgiveness. And just as much as you've wanted to take vengeance in your heart 77 times, now I want you to walk the road of forgiveness 77 times. In other words, as long as it takes and as much as is required. Now that's a pretty tough teaching, But Jesus uses a parable to unpack it. He launches straight into this parable. It's quite well known. It's the parable of this guy who owes a lot of money to a king, massive amount of money. And he goes to the king and he begs for mercy because he can't possibly pay this debt. And so he begs for the king's compassion. He begs for the king's mercy. And the king forgives him. The king releases him from this debt and cancels the debt and lets him go free. And Jesus uses that part of the parable to say, This is how God has treated you. This is what the Father has done for you. This is what God is like. And that's the whole basis of forgiveness. This is the foundation. You can't even begin to be a forgiving person until you first appreciate the incredible forgiveness that's been lavished upon you. God never asks us to do anything that he hasn't done for himself towards us. Because we have grieved God. We have wronged God. We've offended God. We deserve God's vengeance, don't we? All of us. Like God would be perfectly within his rights if he took vengeance on us, on you, wouldn't he? I mean, if we got what we deserved, if God decided to take vengeance upon us, even if it was only proportionate to our sin, we would be in trouble. And we'd be spending eternity cut off and separated from the presence of God. God would easily be within his rights to take full vengeance upon us and unleashes judgment upon us. But God has chosen not to treat us 
according to the principle of vengeance, even though he could, even though he would have been entitled to. Instead of going the road of Lamech, instead of saying, well, you've offended me, so you'll pay, God has acted according to a different principle, and he has said, you owe, I'll pay. You owe, you owe greatly. Your debt is immense, but I'll pay. And he sent his only son to earth to die on a cross and take the full brunt of the vengeance that we deserved. That's what happened on the cross, is that God poured out all of his vengeance upon the one person who never deserved it, the one person who never needed to ask forgiveness from anyone. He received the full brunt of God's anger, God's wrath, God's righteous fury at sin. All that was unleashed upon the Son of God on the cross because of our sin, because of all the ways that we have grieved God, we have transgressed God, we've offended the heart of God. So don't ever think that God looks the other way at our sin. Don't ever think that justice was not done. Don't ever think that vengeance was not done. It was. It's just that it got done on the cross. Vengeance has been fully and finally satisfied upon the cross, and the wrath of God has been fully spent upon the Son of God. And God did this so that he would not treat us according to vengeance, but he could now turn to us and forgive us and treat us according to that principle of forgiveness rather than vengeance, that we could be forgiven, we could be reconciled to God, our relationship with him could be restored. That's because vengeance has been done on the cross. Jesus has done it for us. That's why God says to us, you owe, but I'll pay. Jesus has paid. And that's why, that's the only reason why now God turns to you and says, now in view of all that I have done in forgiving you, Will you not turn to those who have wronged you and mistreated you and crossed you in some way and show that same forgiveness to them? Which is really only an ounce of the forgiveness God's shown us. But he says, will you not extend that same forgiveness to others? And the wounds may be very real. And the pain may be there. But God says, I still want you to walk according to the road of forgiveness. That's why he tells the rest of that parable about that servant who was forgiven, then going out, finding a guy that owed him a minuscule amount of money and refusing then to release that guy from his debt and instead chucking him in jail until he paid the whole lot. And Jesus said that this guy is still operating according to the principle of Lamech. But that's gone now. That is not the way of Jesus. Now the way of Jesus is the road of forgiveness. And it's a hard road. I mean, I know I find a lot of Christians love the idea of forgiveness. We love it as a theory. Love hearing about God forgiving us. And we love hearing stories about forgiveness, as long as it's other people. And we love the, the principle of forgiving other people. And we'd like to think that we would do it if ever in that situation. And we talk about it's such a virtue, it's a wonderful Christian thing. We love it, we love it, we love it, we love it all the way up to the point we're actually called on to do it. And then. When someone messes with you, when someone messes with your family, forgiveness goes out the window. And what do you want? Justice. Yeah? You want justice for that person. Justice has got to be done. They just can't get off scot Forgiveness sounds so flaky then, doesn't it? It sounds like defeat. It sounds like giving up. That just sounds like a spiritual thing. We just do that in church. But no, no. Now I need judgment. We love forgiveness until we're actually in a position where we have to do it. And yet it's exactly at those moments when Jesus turns to us and he says, this is what I'm calling you to do. Hard though it is, 
Even though it might run against every fiber of your being and you feel rage, you feel injustice, you feel it's so unfair, this is unreasonable. Jesus says to you, think of what it was for me to go to the cross. Think of what it cost me to pay for your sin. Was that fair? Was that reasonable? Was that the logical thing? It was an extraordinary thing, but I did it for you. And would you now show a fraction of that to this person who has wronged you? Would you forgive them as I've forgiven you? It's not easy, but it's the road God calls us to walk. I talked to a guy in our church this last week who's, who's on this journey, and I know many of you are. The journey he's on is a journey of forgiving his mum for some stuff that went down in their family a couple of years ago, something his mum did. And it's, been, it's been tough, and even though he wasn't the immediate victim of that, it's had a huge effect on the family, and, and he's felt anger, and he's felt all of that rage and maybe that desire for vengeance, but he's made a choice to try and walk that road of forgiveness, to try and respond, not in lashing out, not in harboring anger, but in loving. And he said to me, you know, it's amazing in trying to do that, and he hasn't done it perfectly, but he's trying, and he's on the road, and he said, in trying to do this, you know what it's done? It's not only helped me love my mom again, it's helped me love others. He said, it's, like, it's opened my heart. It's actually just made me a more loving person because I'm willing to forgive. And he said, you know, when, when you get the big things, when you can lay the big things in life down like that, the little things just are so much easier. So he's on that journey and he's moving forward, but that's the, that's the road by the grace of God he's trying to walk. And I know many of you are on this journey as well, and it's, it's not an easy one. I think sometimes the reason people get put off forgiveness is because you feel like it means looking the other way at what was done to you. And people say, oh, no, I can't forgive because I can't ignore what's happened. And I can't just pretend it never happened. I can't just pretend this hasn't gone on. You know, that wouldn't, that wouldn't be right. The, the reality is Jesus never asks you to do that. The saying forgive and forget is not in the Bible. It's not that. Of course, you're not going to forget. You're not going to forget that. The more that you've been wounded and harmed, you will remember that for the rest of your life. In fact, forgiveness requires you to look head on at what's happened. It means not ignoring it. It means not repressing it, not suppressing it, but looking head on at what's happened, coming to terms with that, but then choosing to respond differently. Choosing to lay down your desire for vengeance, even though that desire is there. Lay down your right, your entitlement to get even, to have judgment, to have justice. It means saying, I'm leaving justice to God. That's, what, that's exactly what Lamech did not do. But it means saying, I'm leaving justice in the hands of God. I'm satisfied that justice was done on the cross. I do not need to take it into my own hands. I'm leaving judgment with God on the cross. I'm going to walk the road of forgiveness. And that means I will not hold this against that person or allow this to come in the way of my relationship with them. Not even in my heart. Not even in the way I think towards that person. Not even in the way I speak to others about that person. I'm laying this down. I'm giving it to God. I'm going to choose to act with love and with kindness and with compassion. That's forgiveness. It's not easy though, hey? Much easier to hear about other people doing it than when you are called upon to forgive. And the reality is forgiveness for most people is a long, long journey. It's a long time. You know, sometimes people come to a church service like this. We talk about forgiveness. You have a moment of realizing there's someone you need to forgive. And so you go through this process of forgiveness and you bring them to God and you lay this down and you pray for forgiveness and you feel better about it. And you wake up the next morning and what happens? 
All the rage is still there. All the bad feelings are still there. All the bitterness is there. All the resentment is there. And you feel like, well, didn't it work? Did I say the wrong words? Did I not do it the right way? Why did I bother going through that if I'm still feeling like this? And you, and you can't understand why things aren't different. Forgiveness is a journey. It's often a lifetime journey. Because the, the deeper the wound in your life, the longer it is going to take to heal. It's true physically. It's also true relationally and spiritually. The more wounded you are, the more the, the time that wound is going to need to heal. And so don't be discouraged if you've been on this journey for a long time, but you still have all those negative feelings. And even in a service like this, it can surface some of those things. You thought you dealt with it, and now today it's all starting to bubble up again, and it can sort of come back to the surface. You know, that's okay. You're still on the journey. Go easy on yourself. Keep walking that road. There'll be ups and downs. It can take a long time. But this is why Jesus said, forgive 70 times 7. It means to every day, choose to forgive again. Every day you wake up and you choose to forgive that person again. Every time those, those feelings come back up again and they're overwhelming, you feel this rage, you feel this bitterness, you feel this hatred. Some of you perhaps towards uh, people generations past who may even be dead, but you still feel this rage maybe towards your mothers or fathers who have wronged you, mistreated you in some way. Every time those feelings surface, it means laying them down again, bringing them to God again and saying, God, I surrender these feelings to you. I can't control them. It's bigger than me. It's overwhelming to me, but I give this to you. And I trust that you can give me the grace and the strength to take another step on this journey of forgiveness. I'm going to keep walking in that way, not the way of Lamech, not the way of vengeance. I'm going to carry on the path of forgiveness. But come to terms with the fact it's a long journey. One of the most beautiful stories that I've heard on forgiveness is the story of Tarori, a young Maori girl who lived in Matamata in the late 19th century. And she went to, uh, studied at the Matamata Mission School there, and she was given a copy of the Gospel of Luke in Te Reo, Maori. And she kept it in her, in her kitty, her flax bag. She wore it around her neck, and she treasured it as this prized possession. And one day, Tarori and, her, and her, her, some of her tribe's people were camping in the Kaimai Ranges, and they were attacked by people from another tribe. And massive violence broke out, this huge skirmish, and in all of the action, all of the confusion, Tarori was struck on the head, received a fatal blow, to the head, and she was killed. And her attacker, this guy named Uita, he ripped the kitty from around her neck, stole the gospel of Luke. He thought it was tradable. He thought he could probably get something good for it. So he, he took that, even though he couldn't read it. And of course, this sparked within Tarori's tribe a massive desire for Utu, for vengeance. But at her funeral, her father, who was a significant Maori chief, he stood up and he preached against Utu, preached against this desire for vengeance. And he said, enough blood has been spilled. Enough lives have been taken. We're not going to seek retribution and retaliation for this. And as a result, there was no blood vengeance that was sought from that tribe. Well, back in Uita's tribe, they now had this gospel of Luke. And they couldn't read it, so they, they didn't know what it was about. But eventually, this, this visiting slave came along who could read it and read it aloud. And so they started to hear the gospel. They started to hear the stories of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke. They started to hear about peace. They started to hear about forgiveness. They started to hear about reconciliation. And Uita was incredibly convicted by that. And he repented and humbled himself before God, acknowledged the one true creator God. And he committed himself that he would go to Tarori's father and would seek forgiveness from him. Now, that's an incredibly dangerous thing to decide to do. That was basically taking his life in his hands. He could have been slain on the spot. 
but he decided to do it. And so Uita made this pilgrimage to Tarori's tribe. And as he approached the tribe, Tarori's father came out to meet him. And as the story goes, instead of there being violence between these two men, they embraced each other and tears were shed. And Uita humbled himself and he confessed what he'd done and he sought Tarori's father's forgiveness. And Tarori's father forgave him. And the two men were reconciled. And not only were those two reconciled, but that reconciliation spread through the tribes. And these two tribes that used to be warring against each other, used to be enemies, were reconciled and were on good terms. And the Gospel of Luke continued to be read and continued to be read aloud. And people continued to hear the message. And the Gospel of reconciliation continued to penetrate through these communities, through these tribes, through these families. And you can go to a little field in Matamata today with a white cross that marks Tarori's grave. And it commemorates the way that the gospel can bring forgiveness. The gospel can bring peace. The gospel can bring reconciliation between individuals, between families, between communities, and between tribes. That's Tarori's story. But you've got your own story. You've got your own journey to walk. And I want to encourage you just as we, as we close and as we head towards communion, just to think about people in your own life. Maybe people that you need to forgive. Maybe people that you need to ask forgiveness from. And I just want you to think about who they are. I want you to get those names and faces in your mind. It may be things that were done to you a long, long time ago. Maybe one thing that's very, very fresh and raw, or maybe a whole series of things over a long time. You know your story. You know your journey. But just think about those people that maybe God is prompting you today, that there's another step to take on that journey of forgiveness. Maybe you've never even started that journey. You just pushed it aside. You've silenced it, and you're just harboring that anger. Maybe God is saying to you today, I want you to start this journey. It's going to be a long journey, but I'm with you. I'm going to walk with you, and I want you to walk in the way of forgiveness. Maybe you're already a fair way on that journey, but it's not easy. Maybe you've stalled. and Maybe today is the day to take another step and say, God, I want to keep forgiving. I want to hear your word afresh today. Forgive 70 times 7, and I want to keep going and keep forgiving. Whatever step God is calling you to take towards forgiveness, he will give you the power, he will give you the strength to take that and to walk in the way of Jesus. Because you've got two roads ahead of you. You can walk the road of Lamech if you want. You can choose the way of vengeance, but it will end up like a cancer in your soul. Or you can choose the way of Jesus. And out of the bounty of God's forgiveness, you can choose to extend that forgiveness to others, even though they don't deserve it, even though it may not be reciprocated or even recognized. You can choose to extend forgiveness to others so that your soul might be healed. And maybe, Lord willing, there may even be peace and reconciliation that can come. Let's pray. Father, we're talking about things this morning that really are deep in our hearts, God, and they've caused us deep pain. God, we know and we acknowledge to you, Lord, that we've hurt others and we've been hurt by others. And God, it's hard to think about the fact that we've inflicted wounds on other people just like they've inflicted wounds on us. But that's where we are, God, and we're here. And you see all of that. You know all of that. Our, our brokenness is laid bare before you. And Father, we're just asking you this morning that you would make us people of forgiveness. Father, it's hard because it's not what we want to do. It's not what we feel like doing. But we pray that you would give us that willingness to forgive others. 
to live out that prayer that you called us to pray. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. We pray that we'd be willing to do that, to actually live that out. And we pray, God, in the times that it's the hardest, the times when the pain's the greatest, that the strength would come from your spirit to say once again, I forgive you. And we thank you that all of this is because of your immeasurable forgiveness for us, that you've not treated us as our sins deserve, but with kindness. Thank you, God, that you've not dealt with us according to vengeance, but according to forgiveness. We are so grateful. Make us forgiving people. Make us a community of forgiveness, we pray, for Christ's sake. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.